Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. Lord, um, illuminate this passage for us. Give us the ability to see exactly what you desire. And Lord, we pray for life change in the process. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. morning. That was awesome. Good job. Um, it's nice to be back. Thank you, first of all, for those of you who prayed for our trip. Um, for those of you who don't know, so I serve on the board of trustees of a, of a seminary in California, and um, it's my honor to go and represent you and New England there, and it went really well. It's always exhausting. Um, I, I sit uh, with a group of, thir- there's 38 board of trustees from all over the world, and most of them are older and wiser than me, and so I just kind of get to sit and listen to what they, you know, I vote, but I really feel like it's more about me learning and, and being humbled, and it's just been a, a great opportunity. So thank you for those prayers. I also got to see my family, which was great. So my dad and my sister and my aunt, so good stuff. Um, I hope your week was good. We're going to dive right back into the book of James. Um, I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of background and kind of catch up if you weren't here last week. Last week I challenged you that one of the things that James is trying to do is basically put a mirror up in front of us, Right? And so he's going to continue that process. And the reason that I'm reminding you of this is because I think in all of the things that kind of we do as human beings, we are best at attempting to place blame on somebody else for our own issues. Right? I mean, that's pretty much the standard how we roll. Right? From the very beginning, if you know much about Scripture, you know that at the very beginning, God creates two individuals. He tells them not to do something. They do it. And then he approaches them, and he's like, why did you do it? So first he goes to the, to the woman, and he's like, or to the man, and he's like, why did you do this? And then what does he say? It was the woman you gave me, right? So he points blame immediately, and then he goes to the woman, he's like, why did you do it? And it was like the serpent, and then ultimately just comes down to, God, it's your fault. And we have this tendency to constantly be looking when we're doing something wrong or something happens that we don't like. It could be our own doing. It could be some decision that we made. Whatever it is, we have this constant tendency to look for who can I blame and who can I make responsible other than me we're so good at it right and so the idea here is James is saying look the temptation is as we go through especially passages like this is to remove the mirror and start thinking about other people who you know that struggle with the things that James talks about but that's not the point the point isn't to sit here and go oh wow, I cannot believe, you know, this is what scripture says, and I know the exact person that needs to hear this. I remember preaching a sermon at my old church long, long time ago, and uh, it, was, it was a convicting sermon. Like, I came down convicted. There was large church, lots of people, and this lady comes up afterwards, and she's like, Pastor, I just want you to know it was so good that you gave it to those sinners. <laughs> and I was like, I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to be respectful, but you've, you've, you missed it. Like, you missed the whole point. This had nothing to do with you pointing the finger at other people. I, one of the other things I've learned about being a human, right, because I haven't been anything else, is that as a human being, we also have this tendency to not just blame others, but we have a tendency to want to find as many people that struggle with the same issues that we have and compare ourselves to them so that we don't feel as bad for doing what we do, right? My dad 
I remember he was a police officer, and if you were raised by a police officer, you know, okay? If you know, you know. It's not easy. Um, but he, he, was the, he was a police officer, detective, and then um, he would always say, like, during our family times when we would struggle, um, you know, like maybe there was family tension, and he's like, you know what we need? We need to go to the state fair. And I'm like, why? And he says, because every time we go to the state fair, we see messed up people, and they're way worse than us. And he says, I always leave feeling like our family's all right. <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay. We just do that. We have this tendency to want to make comparison. And so, just right off the bat, I'm just going to ask you, as we go through this, remember, the Holy Spirit here is attempting to put a mirror in front of you to go, where are you struggling in these areas? Don't think about how your spouse is struggling in these areas, your friend, your, your, your kids, whoever it is, or the person that you know sitting next to you that you want to talk to or point out, right? But it's going to be really easy for us to kind of pass the buck, especially on stuff like this. And it is a tendency of ours. So remember, the mirror's coming up, and we're going to be talking about trials and temptations, and, and what James is going to remind us is how we view these things really shows us what we believe, right? One of the most difficult things about Christianity is, you know, if you've grown up, once again, in Christian world, you know that we say this a lot, like salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything, right? It's free, but, and the Lord will take you exactly as you are, but he never leaves you that way. He systematically changes you slowly, and it costs you everything. And in fact, Jesus himself says, count the cost, right? If you're, as you, you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to realize that it, it, it costs us everything because he, our heart is so messed up. We're we're constantly looking at things from the wrong perspective. We don't put Jesus in the center of everything that we do. We're, we're selfish. We're prideful. We, we're constantly doing things that we want to do and not necessarily what the Lord's asking us to do. And it's hard. And oftentimes when we look at things like this topic that James is going to bring up, I think not only is it easy to pass the buck or blame other people or, or look at others and go, yeah, they really struggle with that, but it's also easy to say, Man, this is asking too much. Like, this is, this is costly. I'm going to tell you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, um, the life of following Jesus is not a life for uh, the weak. It's hard. He gives us the strength that we need to, to live the life that he desires us to live, but as sin-cursed beings living in a sin-cursed world, we're constantly making mistakes and we're constantly attempting to do something different. And then when you add the knowledge that we're given here, it, it becomes tem tempting to, uh, to fall back, I guess, sometimes into the way that we, we used to think. And so if you've opened your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. I know we went through verse 12 last week, but we started there again just because I want to start with a positive before we start moving into the hard stuff. It says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So right off the bat, he, James is reminding us, look, there's trials that we're going to go through in life. We know that. There's things that we're going to have to go through in order for us to grow in our faith, in order for us to become more like Jesus. And oftentimes the Lord puts us in situations where he's actually testing us. He's putting us in moments where the trial comes from him, right? And he says when we've, when we've passed the test, when we've gone through these things, it helps us understand who we are in the areas that we need work. So everyone, I'm assuming at some point in here, has taken some sort of a test. All right? I hate tests. I hate them. Okay? I, I just, I don't like them. Um, I, I was never a great test taker. In fact, you know, even in college, it was like, if, every, if it was going to be, if the grade was mostly going to be on writing, I was going to ace it. If the grade was going to be on tests, it was probably going to be a B. Right? Because I'm just, I'm not the greatest test taker in the world. Um, but tests are kind of a part of life, and the whole point of test is to help us, supposed to help us or a professor or our teacher or whoever it is, get an understanding of what we've, what knowledge we've kind of obtained, right? 
are we able to take what has been taught to us and regurgitate it in a way? Or are we able to take what has been taught to us and then live it out? Right? So sometimes tests aren't on paper. Sometimes tests are practical. So as I finish my doctorate, one of the things I'm going to have to do is what's called orals, right? Where they, you basically stand before a panel of people that you don't really know, and they just grill you with questions, and they're asking things about your life and how you're doing. And so the test is, is it, it it's not something that's written. It's, okay, what are you doing, and are you actually living out what you're saying that you're living? Um, all kinds of tests. But the, the, the purpose, remember, of the test is to help us. It's, it's to help us understand where we're at. When you fail a test, first of all, the tendency is typically to blame the teacher, right? Because we're going to get into that. But when you fail a test, the idea is to go, okay, clearly I didn't learn enough. I didn't obtain that. I need to study more. There's more work that needs to be done in order for me to pass the test. So it becomes an assessment of where we're at. Okay, so it doesn't have to be, you know, life-changing driving test. If you want to get a driver's license, you're going to have to sit in front of someone and they're going to watch you as you drive around to make sure that you're a safe driver. And then they're going to give you feedback. At the end, they're going to be like, okay, look, here's some things that you really need to work on to keep you safe. And we take those things and we learn from that. We say, okay, if I want to be a better driver, I'm going to have to learn from these things. The purpose of God putting us through trials is to help us understand where we are. It's a testing of our faith. And we see this all over Scripture. Like, one of the most obvious tests in the Old Testament is Abraham, when God says he's going to, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, your only son, right? And what was the purpose of this? Because we know that when it comes down to it, Abraham passes the test, God, God cops, stops him from sacrificing his son and then provides a, an appropriate sacrifice and the goat or the ram but what was the purpose? The purpose was, is Abraham, as Abraham's faith is being tested, it's going to show Abraham who's truly first in his life. And when oftentimes when the Lord puts us through trials, we get this sense of what we truly believe. And you go, well, what, what can that look like? It can look like anything, Right? It can look like tragedy in our life sometimes. It can look like uh, a blessing. You know, we talked last week about the fact that some trials come in the form of blessing. How we handle good things shows us just as much who we are and what we believe as how we handle difficult things. We talked about the idea that as a Christ follower, we're to kind of just remain steady, right? That boat that's floating, whether the seas are calm or the seas are rough, we just... We praise God regardless, right? And he says when we pass these tests, when we go through these trials, and we do it successfully, there's benefit to it. We learn who we are. We, we understand God better. We draw in a closer relationship with him. We have the ability to, to place more of our faith and trust in him. Our, our faith holds true when things are more difficult. And the other thing about tests and trials is oftentimes we know the next one's coming and it's going to be much more difficult, right? We take what we learned from the first one, knowing that we got to carry that into the second one. But scripture tells us that he gives us all the strength we need to do that. So we start off with this idea that as, you know, God's promised to, to bless us when we go through these trials, that, that blessing is understanding God more, being more the person he desires us to be, there's also another way that we can look at trials in our life. And he begins that in verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he was, when he was lured, lured and enticed by his own desire. So God doesn't tempt. Now there, there's a there's a difference here. There's a fine line. There's, you know, temptation is an attempt to draw somebody to sin. Meaning, uh, if I'm going to tempt you with something, I am doing something that could potentially bring you to a place of failure, and I might even tempt 
You know, other people might tempt you to do something that, because they know that you're going to fail. The purpose of a test or a trial is to show your faith, to reveal that to you. The purpose of a temptation is to cause you to fall. God doesn't want you to fall. It says that he has no evil in him. He can't be tempted by evil. The, the, the desire here is not for the trial to be a temptation. And then he goes on further to say that if it actually feels like a temptation, that's coming from you, not him. Now, this is where things get interesting, right? So uh, years and years ago, I kind of coined this phrase, I believe that everybody has their fatal flaws, okay? And everybody's fatal flaws look different. And you, you can describe this or name it whatever you want it to be. But this is what I know to be true. If you're going to blow it right now, I mean, I'm looking around the room and everybody's old enough at this point. If you're going to blow it, if you're going to fail, if you're going to be tempted and actually give in to the temptation, I'm pretty certain at this point you know how that's going to happen. It wouldn't be a shock to you, right? Like, the reason I can say that is because what, what tempts you, what's caused you to fail in the past is typically still a draw to you at some point. Now, the Lord can give you the ability to overcome temptation, of course. And, and obviously, temptations in our life can be conquered and so on and so forth, but it's not normal, it's not typical for human beings to be tempted one way, overcome it, and then be completely tempted in a completely different way and struggle in the same way that they struggled with the other temptations. There's usually something in our life and it's going to be wrapped up in either the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, whatever it is, right? There's going to be something in your life that is an actual temptation to you. Um, you know what it is. I don't. I know what mine are. Um, and if you're struggling trying to figure out what it is, it's the things that have caused you, they've been so tempting that they've caused you to fail in the past, right? Like, you've heard people say things like, oh, the devil made me do it, right? Satan is a being. He can exist in one place at one time. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He doesn't know the future. He's a created entity, right? We can get into the theology of that later. And the reality is, you know, oftentimes we're like, well, how does Satan know what to tempt us with if he's going to be the tempter? Well, he knows what to tempt you with because he's observant right? It's like if anybody wants to make you fall, they, and they know you really well, if they wanted to tempt you, they know what tempts you. I am never tempted by something, like, like if, my, if my desire is to lose weight and get fit, and so I'm going to change my diet, you're never going to tempt me with fruitcake. Like, I think fruitcake's awful, and I know what you're going to say. You've not tried my fruitcake. I'm telling you, I won't like it. Okay? Fruit, good, cake, great, fruit, cake, awful. <laughs> All right? So, this is bad. So, there's no temptation for me to give in to a dessert like fruit cake. However, if you want to tempt me and you have something that's really chocolatey and that sits before me, uh, I might give in to that. Because that draws me. I don't believe that dessert exists without chocolate. All right? And that's just me. That's my temptation when it comes to food. Yours might be different. You might go, I love fruitcake, right? But you know what tempts you. So if somebody wants to tempt me to blow my diet or to blow my training or whatever it is, and they know me well enough, they know what it is that's going to tempt me. And I know myself well enough to know what it is that's going to tempt me. I call that our fatal flaws. As a Christ follower, we have to know what those things are. Right? There's some things that are tempting to others, but not necessarily have never been tempting to you. Have never been tempting to me. There are certain things that I see others give into that I go, I don't even understand it because there's no temptation there. And then you would say the same thing about me, right? So we have to understand there's these, these things in our life called fatal flaws, and, or whatever you want to call them, and at any trial that we go through could potentially turn into a temptation because of our own sinful desires. Right? The purpose of the trial isn't like, 
If a, if a teacher says, okay, I'm going to test you, and one of your issues is that you cheat on tests, and you need to do very well on this test, for some of you, you'd be like, I would never cheat on a test. There's no issue here whatsoever. It's just a trial. I got to study. I got to get through it. For others, you might go, man, I am so tempted to do well on this thing, and I've struggled in the past. I've gotten away with cheating in the past. Therefore, I'm going to do it again, and this thing becomes a temptation for you. And the internal battle begins. Am I going to follow through with cheating on this test, or am I actually going to do it the right way? Right? And it could be anything. So there's so much. This is why I say we don't, we don't want to, to point our fingers at other people. This is why the mirror is so important. Because if you don't understand what tempts you, it's going to be really hard at times to overcome it. I told you at the beginning, I think one of the, the major issues we have as human beings is when we're tempted and we fail, then the blame game usually begins. Right? Um, it's very rare. It's very, very rare for us to find an individual. I mean, you just like, think about yourself, right? It's very rare for me to fall into whatever the temptation is and give into it and then not immediately feel the guilt or remorse of the Holy Spirit because I'm a Christ follower and then begin, the first, the, usually the first process is, who am I going to blame that this is happening? Right? Um, it's that old adage. Who's to blame? So last night, so I know... You know, I, I invited you guys to run the Tough Mudder with me last week, and I, I know nobody signed up, so I wasn't expecting it. It's hard. But I'm going to invite you again. Like, you can sign up. Mary has sign-ups coming. She'll send you some information this week. If you want to sign up, you can sign up to run with me. And I know that in the next couple, like, well, we're le almost a month away, my diet's really important. How much I'm running is important. Um, getting getting uh, my body ready for it is very important. And... Before we left California, my aunt handed us, before we got on the plane, um, my favorite M&Ms. Okay? Um, so they're dark chocolate peanut. You can find dark chocolate. You can find peanut, but it's really hard to find dark chocolate peanut M&Ms. Try. I think, I mean, you go to Walmart, you might find them, but that's it. And so she always finds them, and she'll bring me a bag when I see her, right? And so I've got these things on the plane, and it's early in the morning, we haven't eaten breakfast, and I know that they're there, and I hear them calling me from above me. <laughs> like, they're like, Kevin, you're hungry, and your favorite snack is above you, and it's so rare, and there it is. And I withstood the temptation. Mainly, I just went to sleep. <laughs> All right. So I withstood the temptation, and we got home, and we were tired because we'd been up a long time, and we ordered some food, and we ate, and then we, ate, we ended up eating dinner, I guess, early, right? And then, like, 10 p.m. comes, and I'm starving. And I know where the M&Ms are. And so what did I do? I opened the bag of M&Ms, and I ate most of them. <laughs> okay? All right. Now, as I was finishing with the guilty pleasure of M&M breath, and then thinking about the fact that today I need to go on a long run and I'm going to regret the fact that I ate these M&Ms, immediately my mind went to, I can't believe my aunt would give me these M&Ms. <laughs> like she says she loves me and cares for me. She knows that I'm trying to do this. Why would she do this to me? Right? And you're, it's so easy to go, well, Okay, I blew it, but if she hadn't given me the M&Ms, then I would have been fine, right? And then I could take it further if I really want to, right? I could go to, why does the M&M company make something that is so hard for me to say no to? Why did God create chocolate? God, it's actually your fault. And things start moving back, back. And everything that my brain is doing, it's trying to get me to this place where I'm not going to feel guilty about eating the M&Ms because somebody else is to blame. 
Does this sound familiar? It's fascinating, right? We do this with everything, and that is the, the most ridiculous analogy I could give you. But now you take something like that and take something serious, right? That's what we do. So many marriages fall apart. And, and, and I think I mentioned a little bit of this last week where it's like, okay, I'm doing marriage counseling, and one of the things they're saying is, he or she just makes me so mad. They force me to do these things. And I'm like, see, there's the problem. Nobody can force you to sin. People can behave certain ways to us, but our response is still on us. Right? So we can go, oh, you, you made me so angry. Well, I mean, anger is an emotion, and it can be a holy emotion. It can be an unholy emotion. We know that. We saw Jesus get angry at times when it was appropriate, but most of the time, anger is out of control. You made me so angry. It caused me to do this. But is that really the truth? Right? No. You put me in a position that I had no choice. Really. No choice. This is the way that we process. And what I have found is that the world often will keep moving that blame back all the way to the component of God. if there's a God, he can't be good because he wouldn't put me in this position. And we find ourselves in the exact same spot that Adam and Eve found themselves. As Christ followers, we can do the same thing. God, I begged you to do this and you didn't. And now it's up to me to get it done. And now I have no choice. So ultimately it's your fault. God, you knew the situation I was in. You knew that I needed a new job. You knew that I had financial issues. You knew that this person was how they were. Why would you even let me marry them? Why would you even let me have a relationship with them? Why wouldn't you provide what I need in this situation? And now look what you've made me do. And what James is saying is, this is such human behavior, right? It's such human behavior that everything I've just said, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, I've just told your story, right? Because it's mine. We all do the exact same thing. The first verse, verse 12, helps us understand that if we look at these trials, these things that the Lord puts us through as opportunities to display our faith and understand who we are better. The second way we can look at these things is we start blaming others. And it says that when we do that, there's a pattern that develops. And the pattern is this. It says, In verse 14, but each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own desire. Verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. There's this pattern that happens. So the trial comes in. It's a temptation for us. We're processing. We give in to that temptation. That temptation now becomes everything that we think about. And this is psychology 101, right? Um, in my first psychology class, the professor stood up and said, don't think about pink elephants, right? And what do you do as soon as I say that? You think about a pink elephant. So the temptation's there. We process this temptation. We think about this temptation. There can be moments when we're like, I am going to overcome this temptation. And everything that we begin to think about, it says it'll, it conceives in our, in our heart. It, it's, we're, we're thinking about it constantly. It's always there. And pretty soon we find ourselves giving into the temptation just like me with the M&Ms last night. The reason I gave in is because I went, the M&Ms are there. I really want the M&Ms. They're sitting right there. All I have to do is go open the bag of M&Ms. I'm really hungry. There is no food in the house. It's too late to go get something. The M&Ms are there, and then I find myself doing it. Why? Because I kept thinking about them. And he says when we process this and we think about it, it leads to sin. Now, sin is something very simple. I mean, Scripture just defines sin as whatever displeases God. It's, 
It's us giving into what, what that tempts us. It's doing something that God says is not good, right? Most sin is a, it's a contortion of what God sees as good. That's what most sin is, right? So love becomes lust, right? Good things become something that is bad. We, we contort it, we turn it. Beauty becomes something. It can be anything, right? The gift of a blessing like money becomes an idol. Something that we live for. Whatever it is. So the temptation, we give into it, it leads to sin, and then it says that sin leads to death. And what are we talking about here? Well, ultimately, sin becomes that which controls us. So as a Christ follower, the analogy is that we know that Jesus comes and he lived the life we were to live and died the death we deserve. Three days later, he rises, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit if we put our faith and trust in him. And he says, the gift of that Holy Spirit gives you the power to sustain that which I have freed you from. Meaning, if you consider yourself outside of Jesus, you're, you're chained to sin, and Jesus comes and he removes those chains. He, he cuts the chain. When we, when we sin as Christ followers, it's like we're walking around with this chain and we're just attaching it to this sin because it becomes controlling in our life. It leads to a component of death because this becomes an idol and we start worshiping it instead of Jesus. And we all have experienced this as well where we give into something and it becomes overwhelming in our life to the point where it feels like it's that that's controlling our life, right? The easiest example to this is like an addiction. It could be anything, right? It doesn't even have to be a substance. It could be people. I know people that are addicted to relationship, right? It, it could be anything, but when we get addicted to something, there's a craving that is produced inside of us that can only seems like it can be satisfied by giving in to that addiction. And it, it could be anything, like I said. It's like I learned a long time ago, I'm an addict because I'm addicted to sin. I, I don't, whatever it is, as, as uh, <laughs> we'll give in to it, right? We're the only creatures on the planet that will actually do something that we know destroys us willingly. We do it all the time. We'll say, I know this isn't good for me. I know it messes up my life. I know that this is going to, I'm going to regret this later. I know that it's going to be bad. I know that it's going to draw me to a place that I don't want to be. And yet, what do we do? We'll give in anyway. That's human nature. And then the blame game begins. Because when we find ourselves in the position that we knew we were going to be in, ultimately, if we gave in, but when we get there, then we want to put the blame on somebody el else as to why we're there. Right? And so this cycle just keeps going and going. I've literally, like, and you've probably heard this before, and there's been... I guess times in my heart where I've probably done the same thing. I, I've literally like sat in front of somebody and listened to them justify sin and use God's name to do it. Like I've literally been sitting in situations where I've had a, a man come to me and go, I know that God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage so I know that he's asking me to divorce my wife. And I'm like, wow. We have really like seen this go full circle. Right? And now God becomes the problem or the justification for what we're doing. And it's just, like I said, it's, it's human nature. That's what we do. For those of you right now, like, and I don't know, I don't know what's going on in everybody's life, but I would venture to say, even in a crowd this small, there's some people in here right now who have given into something and it's progressed to that point and you feel like you're living a slave as a slave to something. Like, 
I would venture to say also that there's people in here who know Jesus and have come out of something like that. So you find individuals who are searching for hope, maybe in the blame game, I don't know what stage you're in, and you have others who are like, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me out of this and putting me, my feet back on solid grounds, forgiving me and letting me walk. And, and what I want to encourage you with is this. Re- regardless of where you are in the process, the gospel's the answer, Right? Like, I don't, I don't know how to tell you to not be tempted. I know how to tell you that when you're tempted, if you rely on the gospel, you can overcome the temptation. I, I think that there's certain things in all human beings that you're going to be tempted toward. But one of the things I, so, I, you know, I used to work at this drug and alcohol rehab program, and I would we would try to introduce them to Jesus and help them gain the tools that they needed to not pick up drugs or alcohol again. And one of the things I said is when you walk, you know, let's say you're talking to somebody who has an addiction to alcohol. When you walk into the bar, you haven't failed. When you sit down at the bar, you haven't failed. When you order whatever it is that you're going to drink, you haven't failed. When the bartender sits it down in front of you, you haven't failed. When you pick up the glass, you haven't failed. You haven't failed until that liquid hits your lips and at any one of those moments the gospel gives you the ability to stop and that's the difference between a life in the holy spirit and a life without it is every moment in those decision-making processes whatever you're going through the holy spirit if the holy spirit lives in you is going to be saying i have an out for you You can walk away. I'm giving you the strength. Here it is. Right here. Even that that feeling that you're having of of that warning, like red lights are going off in your head, warning, right? Stop. Don't do this. I I mean, I'm sure I can think of things where even like maybe I'm walking toward a temptation and the Lord would actually bring somebody in. Like I run into somebody, you know, and the Lord uses them to do it. Or there's a phone call or a text or, you know, it could be anything. So I oftentimes I'm like, if, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's asking you to text somebody and just check on them, do it. Right? Or like I wake up in the middle of the night often and I'll feel like the Lord is asking me to pray for somebody. And there's been moments where I've been like, I'm so tired, Right? And I have it, and then I would wake up and go, oh. Like, the Holy Spirit will use other people to help us get through these things, right? But without Jesus, you're dependent upon your own self-will, which ultimately is your own destruction anyway. So you're going to fail. There's differences here. When the Lord gives a trial to somebody like Abraham, if he didn't, you know, it took... It took Abraham going through many failures to get to the point where the Lord tested him with Isaac. Right? Like, the Lord, there's this saying, and I, I always think it's misquoted, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's true, but <laughs> you can do all things Actually, I'm going to requote this. You can't do anything, right? But in Christ, you have the ability, if you'll lean into Christ, to overcome anything, right? But it requires us to lean into Jesus. Um, I've watched people use verses like that where they're like, I'm going to put myself in a tempting position because I want to, and I'm just going to believe that, I'm just going to say over and over, okay, Jesus will give me the strength to overcome this, and then they never actually rely on Jesus, they just put themselves in positions that, that cause them to fail, right? I, I've used this analogy before, but it's, it's one that's, that's easy for us to understand. I had a friend who, um, they were in seminary together, 
and his friend, they would meet like every week, right, for a meal. And one week, the, the friend of my friend said, hey, um, I need to confess something to you because I need some help. He says, every, every week I'm finding myself walking into strip clubs. And he's like, like, when is this happening? He goes, honestly, it's happening every time after we meet and I'm walking back to school. And he goes, you're kidding. Like, w- w- tell me what's going on. He goes, well, I walk by this, you know, I'm walking on this street and there's like eight of them there. And I walk past maybe the first two. And then I get to like the third one and I just find myself walking in. And my friend says to him, you realize that you're walking a mile out of your way. So every time he left, he was walking a mile out of his way to put himself in a position of temptation and then overwhelmed by the fact that he wasn't able to overcome that temptation. And you'd say, well, in Christ, I can do all things, right? Well, yeah, in Christ, you cannot walk a mile out of your way to put yourself in temptation. Meaning, we often put ourselves through temptations that we don't even need to put ourselves through. It would have been rude for me to take the M&Ms from my aunt and throw them away in front of her. Right? But what I could have done is given them to somebody else. I could have said, Matt Love, I have some M&Ms. Would you like them? Right? Or I could have locked them up somewhere. Or I could have said, Christy, don't let me open these. But here's what I knew. I knew that I was going to eat them. I knew that. When she handed them to me, I'm like, I'm eating those. <laughs> I'm going to pretend for a little while like I'm going to not give in to the temptation. But ultimately, I know I'm going to eat this bag. right? And then last night as I'm eating them, my thought was, well, if I eat them all, then I won't have the temptation tomorrow. You been there? (laughs) All right. As this mirror is being put up in front of us, and I don't know what your temptations are, I just want to challenge you to understand that God is good, that he doesn't tempt you, that you tempt yourself. And if we as Christ followers can understand that, it helps us grasp our depravity a little bit better and helps us apply the gospel in a more significant way. And that's where we're headed. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not. When trial comes, when these issues are coming, you have two opportunities. You can look at them from the perspective of Jesus or you can look at them from the perspective of wow, I can't believe that God is tempting me, right? And so you have these options. And what he's saying is, let's be wise in how we determine what we're going to do and how it's going to be done. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I have to remind myself of this all the time. God never changes. It's one of his characteristics, immutability we call it he never changes ever he doesn't change so if he says something it will happen if he promises something he's good for that promise he cannot change he never changes he's not evolving god's not getting smarter he doesn't go oh i didn't see that coming i need to make a different decision he never changes I understand how difficult that is for us to understand because we're constantly changing. And everybody we know is constantly changing and the world is constantly changing around us. But God never changes. When he says this is sin, it will always be sin. It's not dependent upon what culture says is sin or right or wrong. It's always that. When he said this is good, it's always good. He never, ever changes but we do. And we have to understand that. 
God never changes. We change. So if we get to a place in our walk as a Christ follower where we're going, man, it feels like God's distant. God didn't move. Who moved? We did. We did. There's a, a, a passage in Scripture. I remember when I was young, I went through an evangelism class, and they used this, this passage completely out of context. They said, okay, when you sit down with someone, one of the, things, one of the verses that you're going to use is you're going to say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with them, which means I will come in and fellowship with them, right? And as I got older and I started studying that passage, I'm realizing that's not written to unbelievers, that's written to Christ followers, Like, in the context of that scripture, he's talking to the church. And he says, church, I am with you always. I will never leave you. But there's moments in your life where you're going to feel distance from me, and I didn't move. I'm still here. In fact, I'm not even not moving. I'm actually knocking on the door of your heart saying, hey, hello, I'm here. And he says, open your heart to me. Let me in. I will fellowship with you. He never changes, but we do. Experiences change us. People change us. Failures change us. Successes change us. Hurts change us. We're constantly changing. But the beautiful thing about who God is is he says, listen, this is who I am. And I will always love you. I will always give you the ability to overcome. I will always fellowship with you. I will always give you an ability to be stronger than you are if you'll rely on me. I will always give you the ability to do what's right. I will always show you what's right. I will always, if you ask of me, I will give you wisdom. I will give you courage. I will give you boldness. I will, if you ask of me, I will put you through tests so that you can understand who you are. We talked about this last week, right? You pray for love. Lord, help me be more loving. What does he do? Gives you more, gives you people that are hard to love. Why? It's a test. It's it's the only way that we grow as human beings because we change. Experiences change us. Knowledge changes us. How we behave changes us. But knowing that we serve a God who never changes, he's solid always, he truly is the rock and the foundation. No matter what we go through, he remains the same. Culture doesn't change him, our behavior doesn't change him, nothing changes God. What does that mean for us? It means that no matter what we're going through, no matter what the temptation is, no matter how hard the trial feels, no matter what the disaster, no matter how much pain, no how much suffering is going on, we serve a God that will never, ever change. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always love you. Always. It never stops. That's the encouragement here. It's why it's so devastating when we literally fall into temptation as Christ followers and then blame God for tempting us or being the problem. Because he's going, I don't change. Not, Not only do I not change, but I pulled you out of your sin and gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit and I love you regardless and I paid the penalty for your sin and I've given you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can actually make better decisions and be more like Jesus. I do all of that for you, and I don't change. There's danger. There's so much danger, especially as a Christ follower, when we begin to blame God for what we're doing. It changes the nature of the way that we view him. You actually, you don't remove power from God because you can't, but you remove the power that's available to you through him Listen to verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What's the word of truth? Jesus, the gospel. We 
Dirty, rotten sinners rebelling against the holy God, rebelling against our creator, and he literally says, I'm going to save you. I'm not going to require you to pay the penalty that's owed. It's called grace, right? He, he, He pours grace upon us. He says, the grace is Jesus. The personification of grace is Jesus. He says, I'm going to pour grace upon you so that you don't have to live this way anymore. I'm going to pour grace upon you so that you don't have to feel the full brunt of my wrath that you deserve. He says, Jesus saves you. And then he helps you live for him. But it requires some energy and some effort and some dependency upon who it is. It's, it's funny, if you, if you track your life and you realize there's those moments where you're like, okay, man, I feel like God is like right here. It feels like everything I do is just like, God's there, God's there, God's there. And in those moments, I don't know what you call them, but in those moments, you just feel like you can't do anything wrong. Like God is there, he's moving, he's blessing. He's, even in like hard times, you're like, oh, I'm seeing it from God's perspective, I'm moving forward. I'm just going to tell you, those things don't last very long. They sh- you want them to, but there's going to come an, the next test, the next trial, and it's going to push you, right? And then you're going to have those moments as a Christ follower where you're like, man, I feel like I'm praying, and my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Like, there's things that are going to happen, different tests and trials come about. You're going to have different emotions, different feelings. I think one of the greatest lies is that you know, if you look at something like the prosperity gospel, where like God just wants you to be happy and healthy and rich and, and get everything that you want. It's such bad theology because it's not how God works. We sing it, God gives, God takes away. The question is, what are you going to do when he gives? And what are you going to do when he takes away? Oftentimes he'll give, 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 give. He's got your attention. And he's like, okay, are you ready? Because this is truly going to show you what you believe. Have you become dependent upon what I'm giving you, or have you become dependent upon who I am? Right? And it's in those moments where we get the gift from God. Like these trials are supposed to be a gift because they show us who we truly are, it's the mirror. There's, there's been trials in my life where I'm like, wow, I really failed at that. Like the Lord took away and I was just complaining and bitter and ugly about it. And then I started blaming, you're not showing up, you're not holding your part of the bargain. He's like, well, I already did. Jesus. And he's still with you and he's still there. We talk about the heroes of Scripture, and I don't know who your hero is, okay? Like, pick one. I, it could be anybody. Male, female, it doesn't matter. But you're going to find that the m- people that God used the most in Scripture went through massive trial. Right? Massive trial. It wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. There were some. Right? But I, I'm, I'm constantly captivated by the idea that Peter and Judas were with Jesus his entire ministry and both went different directions. I'm overwhelmed by that. Judas saw everything that Peter saw. And yet, he refused to believe. He refused to give in. He wanted it his way, the way that he wanted it, and how he wanted it, and all of the trials that came, he obviously saw from a different perspective. That's not how the life as a Christ follower works. In fact, Jesus challenges to say, if you truly want to follow me, it's going to require you to deny yourself on a daily basis. It's going to require you, when those temptations come, to use the tools that I've given you to overcome them. It's going to require you to process and think the way that Jesus thinks, not the way that we think. 
it's kind of a conundrum. We often will say things like, you know, when we come to faith in Jesus, we're like, okay, I know I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I know that I deserve eternal death because I've sinned against an eternal God. I know who Jesus is. I know what he did for you, for me, and I'm going to put my life in Jesus' hands. Meaning, I'm Jesus, I believe, and now my eternity is in your hands. That's a big deal. And it's something that we celebrate as a church. And we say, Woof, okay, Jesus, like, removed the heart of stone, gives a heart of flesh, moves from darkness to light. Well, however you want to just born again, however it works, right? But it, then it's fascinating as Christ followers, oftentimes we're like, okay, I'm going to trust you with my eternity, but I'm not going to trust you with tomorrow. That doesn't make sense. It seems like eternity would be a little bit more valuable, Right? Jesus, I'm trusting you with my eternity, but I can't trust you with the fact that you're removing some things or you're not doing it the way that I expect you to do it. It's why when people come to Christ and they'll say, Jesus is my Savior, one of the questions we are asking in discipleship constantly is, that's great, is he your Lord? Is he your King? Because whatever the King says goes, right? And you do you're happy about it because it's coming from the king. The king says, deny yourself here. You go, you got it, right? It's, what James is reminding us is that these trials, they show us who we are and what we believe. Now here's one of the things that I, I think we need to understand is that regardless of how, if, as a Christ fall, regardless of how we handle these trials, remember what they are to do and what they're not to do. They're to if we fail it, they're to encourage us to understand who we are, to come back in contact with our own depravity, to realize that we're not leaning on Jesus enough, and to re-engage him. They're not to destroy us, because <laughs> there's no condemnation in Jesus. They're to say, there was a test here, and you failed. So, how are we going to do this different next time? You're still mine, but there's a lot at stake here because I have work for you to do. But you're not ready for it yet. Because we've got to get you through these tests. I, I have found in my life, as the, the person that I am, high entrepreneurial, there's the mountain climate, plant the flag, that I'm constantly going, oh, God is good when he's allowing me to pursue what I want. And then there's something inside of me that goes, when he's not allowing me to do that, it's not good. But do you know what Jesus also said was good? Rest. I'm the worst at resting, right? But he goes, rest. Stop. Why does Jesus ask us to rest? Like, what was the point of the Sabbath anyway? He says, rest so that you realize that it's not all dependent upon you. Right? Like, I have not. What? Let's finish the passage. It says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is the point of the test and the trials? That we become first fruits in Christ. What are first fruits? This is, remember, James is talking to Jewish Christ followers, and they're going to relate to this understanding of this verbiage really well. So let me explain it. So first fruits, it's, it, it's, it's got a whole bunch of different connotations in it. The first fruit in Old Testament was that which was best. Right? It was the best. The best thing. So he says, look, I'm taking you through trials so that you become like first fruits, that you become the best version of who I'm desiring you to be. Oftentimes what we produce isn't first fruit. First fruit also in Scripture was the tithe, right? He said, what is a tithe? Tithe literally means 10%. The first fruit, it's supposed to be, you know, when we give, it's supposed to be the first that we get. The, the blessing comes in, and we give out the best, the first, the first fruit to the Lord, because we're supposed to give back to Him what's best as the sign of dependency, right? It, this would have rung so, I mean, just the idea, okay, finances, the idea of, 
of, of what's best, the idea of turning us into what is best, all of this would have rang true in Old Testament times, and for us, we need to hear this more than ever. I think we, we get to points, I think we get to points sometimes where we think, I've arrived in this. It's such a conundrum, right? Scripture says we're to be humble. How do you know when you've become humble? Do you declare it? I have finally reached the epitome of humility. I have just lost it. The only way that we know that we are who we claim that we are is when the Lord puts us through tests and trials. And so here's, here's where everything in the gospel reverses everything. Instead of seeing tests and trials as a problem, as Christ followers, we're supposed to see tests and, problem, and trials as a privilege. That Jesus loves me so much that he's willing to put me through some things to show me who I am so I can grow and become more like him in dependency of God. Right? That's a privilege. We do that with our kids. Right? A good father does that. A good father doesn't go, oh, just do whatever you want. <laughs> a good father says, hey, um, if you do that, you're going to get hit by a car. Right? So don't do that. If you do this, then these are going to be the ramifications, and they may choose to do it anyway, but a good father is there, and then a good father, when they blow it, will come and say, let's talk about the decision that you made. Why is there a failure here? A good father doesn't just go, oh, yeah, go. That's, that's neglect, right? The good father says, I'm not going to neglect you and leave you to your own device, I'm actually going to grow you. I'm actually going to put you in situations that are going to show you who you truly are. It's a privilege of the gospel. It's awesome. I, I've seen this happen. I've literally, and I hope that you have come to this position in your, in your walk with Jesus, where I've literally, I've done this. I'm sure that at some point, if you've been walking with Christ, you have, where you've literally said, Lord, I'm too comfortable right now. I need something to shake me up. And you're like, what? Comfort's the enemy of Christianity. We get comfortable, we get complacent, we don't hear from the Lord, we become dependent upon ourselves. As a Christ follower, there comes a point where we're going, I need some testing. I'm not, you're not praying for temptation, that's foolishness. But you're praying for the Lord. Okay, Lord, like... I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable right now. I'm feeling like I don't necessarily need you. I'm realizing that I'm not dependent upon you right now, so can you put me in a position that's going to require me to depend upon you more? That's actual discipleship. That's denying self. It's coming to the realization that there's something there that needs to be fixed, and it could be something as simple as comfort, and saying, Lord, make me uncomfortable, because I want to know how I'm going to respond. And I want, I want to be tested. You know, it's, I, I have never in my life gone to a profess, professor and said, more tests, please. It's, it's contrary to how we process. But in the Christian world, it's a good thing. Because our goal is to become more like Christ. Well, in order to become more like Christ, we have to know where we are. In order to know where we are, we have to be tested. So where are you? I, I would venture to say there's several, you know, we're in several different positions in the room. Some of us are in a position where you go, okay, my life is in shambles. I'm struggling. I don't know what I believe. I'm struggling with this. I, I want to feel the presence of my creator. And all I can tell you is it begins with putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Like, that's the only solution. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then some of you are here and you're saying, well, I've 
I, I claim Christ, but if you really were to evaluate my life right now, it doesn't really look like I'm a Christ follower. Because there's some things that are going on that maybe you don't know about, and maybe that I'm not going to share with others, but they're there. And I would challenge you to say, let's apply the gospel to those situations, and let's confess what it is, and let's talk to Jesus about it, and let's say, Lord, maybe I need to be tested a little bit stronger in this area. And then there's those of us right now who are going, Lord, I am in a position right now where everything just feels great. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, praise God, but get ready. <laughs> because once again, he'll take you as you are, but he's never going to leave you there. And I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to challenge you, like, process through it. Maybe you're in a position right now where you need to actually pray that the Lord would take you through some tests. Maybe it's time. And I would say, if, you, if you're willing to pray that as a privilege and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he's desiring to do in you, the change will be amazing. But are you willing? So we're going to end here. The, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and we're going to respond today just like we did last week with communion. So we know that the answer is always Jesus. The answer is the gospel, and this Communion is a physical reminder, symbolic reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So as the band comes up and sings, I invite you, like, take your time, process through this. When you feel like you're ready, you can come and partake. You don't have to be a member at Church of the Well, but if you're a member of Body of the Christ, you're invited. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, then this is my advice to you. Don't come up and partake it's not going to mean anything to you right instead if you're looking to respond come and talk to somebody pastor matt will be standing over there you can find me turn the person next to you if they say do you know jesus yes can we have a conversation but i don't want you doing something religious and faking something thinking that you're leaving here good you're only good if you know jesus and even then we'll have a whole other definition of good so let me pray god thank you for your word Thank you for who you are. Lord, we get this wrong all the time. Lord, we're constantly in this situation where we want to blame others for the problems that we're facing. We get in situations where we'll actually begin to blame you. Lord, I just ask right now that for your church that you would forgive us that you would help us understand the reality of your love for us when you put us through trials and tests. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to lean into your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow your church, us as individuals, that we would truly understand the beauty of being tested and that would respond to that. Lord, lastly, I just ask if there's anyone in this room, and I'm sure there is, that doesn't know the love of Jesus, that you would just change their heart right now. That you would give them the boldness and the courage to ask questions, to, to find themselves on their knees just begging for your forgiveness, Lord, and that they might come to know you personally. Lord, pour your grace upon us. Help us understand these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.